Welcome to Martha Runs the World, a podcast with a new take on running, fitness, and all things health-oriented. I'm Martha Hughes, your host, and each week I present a new topic that is of interest to all runners. Hi, and welcome to episode 131 of Martha Runs the World. It's big races today. I'll get to that in a second. First, though, I want to talk very briefly about something that ju- that just happened yesterday. A very dear friend of mine, fellow trail runner, ultra runner, who passed away, Rob Nadeau, he was on actually two episodes of mine earlier. We ran Shasta together. We talked very much about all kinds of races. He gave this a uh, very humorous story about what happened to him during, during his first race. And he was just a warm, wonderful human being. He had a lot to say about everything and just a, just a great, great person. He passed away yesterday and I am deeply saddened. The world is saddened and the racing community lost a very, very good person. So my heart is broken the running world mourns for him, and uh, I, I, I just, I, I, I was just at a loss yesterday, and I still kind of am this morning. So this episode is for you, Rob. We'll meet again on the trails for sure, and somehow I think I'll probably make a maybe a long weekend to go up and run some trails in at Mount Shasta next year when I can, just for you. All right, so that is that, and um, yeah, so if you can, and if you knew Rob, or even if you didn't know Rob, well, and if you can, go back and listen to those episodes. He's on episodes 14 and 18, so he joined me on those two episodes. So if you get a chance, take a listen to them. It's pretty interesting, especially 18, where he really... uh. He really is candid about some of his beginning running stories. All right. Now on to bad water. So in, I'm going to talk about bad water 135 and then stay tuned for tales of the trail where I will talk about this year's hard rock 100 race. Death Valley national park is the largest national park in the lower 40 eight states, actually 49 states, including Hawaii. It's the hottest, driest, and lowest elevation of all of America's national parks. Actually, it's the lowest elevation in all of the U.S. In geological terms, Death Valley is a graben, and that's G-R-A-B-E-N, or what's known as a rift valley formed by the sinking of the bedrock lying between parallel uplifted tilt block mountain ranges, the Armagosas to the east and the Panamints to the west. The area's current landscape has been forming over many hundreds of years. Ice ages filled, or thousands I should say, ice ages filled the area with lakes and drier times emptied them. The mountains continue to erode, and rainfall floods the valleys. Badwater Basin sits at 86 meters, or 282 feet, below sea level. It's the lowest spot in North America, as I've already said. 
The average temperature in Death Valley changes with the seasons, but always hovers in the in the high range. In winter, it can be cold, true, but outside of those few winter months, it is oppressively hot. And we'll talk about that. The average temperature range in January is 63 degrees, so that's about as cold as it gets. While in July, the average temperature is 116 degrees, the hottest month. The highest temperature ever recorded was 134 degrees at Furnace Creek in 1913. Strangely, that year was also the coldest on record at 15 degrees that, that preceding January. It's a place of harsh wonder and beauty. And really, you should visit it if you can, because it's a pretty incredible place. I was there when I was little, but I don't really remember it very well, so I need to go back. It's also the setting of one of the toughest and greatest ultra races in the world, the Badwater 135. Badwater didn't become a race until 1987. Only one man, Al Arnold, attempted to run the distance before then, and it took him three times before he completed it. Corey Reese does a great write-up on this history and the father of Badwater in his book, Into the Furnace. You really do need to read it if you want to hear more about the history. It's a great, great book, great write-up. He gets gets right into the nitty-gritty of the back history. The race is brutal for a reason. It isn't just the insane heat. After being relatively flat for the first 45 miles, the course takes this nasty turn going straight uphill for the rest of the mileage. At Towns Pass, the course goes from zero feet elevation to 5,000 feet elevation, then a sharp decline for 3,000 feet, then back up to the National Park boundary. It stays around three to 5,000 feet elevation for the rest of the race, which doesn't make breathing easy. I mean, 5,000 is not that difficult, but... Once you get used to it, boom, time for another sharp incline. But this is the last. This is the 13 miles to the end, and the 13 miles lead you to the uh, Mount Whitney portal. That's not to say it's going to be easy. It's another 4,000 feet more until you reach the end at 8,000 feet. The only positive is that the temperature is a little cooler, so maybe it's in the 90s instead of the 100s. <laughs> Your shoe soles aren't sticking to the road anymore, so that helps a little. The first year the race was held, 1987, it was the U.S. versus the U.K. It only had five starters who all managed to finish under 46 miles, and it was an AM start. It ended at the top of Mount Whitney, so it's a little different. The time start has changed over the years. Recently, it's been a p.m. start, with 2014 being the last year it had an a.m. start. The second year, in 1988, there were eight starters. The race began at 2.46 a.m., 146 miles, and only two finished, again at the top of the mountain. The course changed to 135 miles in 2000, which was also the year that waves of starters were introduced. It was an a.m. start. The waves began at 6, 8, and 10 a.m. Now, see, that's harsh, I think, beginning in the day. The usual amount of finishers is 70 to 80%. Now, see, that's really high percentage for such a brutal, brutal race. But see, that a lot of that comes from the entry requirements. 
the race directors want people running it who they think that can finish. That's way, that's the opposite of, of Barkley. They, they, they want a lot of people to finish it. So one of the requirements is one of the many, many requirements, I should say, is that each person has to run three 100 milers. The, uh, one of the other requirements is to answer a ton of questions and they ask all these questions. And then another requirement is to write an essay. Yes, an essay on why you feel you should run it. See, as a writer and English lover, I love that kind of, of answer. I, I really, I really do, to be honest. The qualifying team has to choose the candidates who they think will most likely finish. And that's just the start of the adventure. And I'm not talking about their training. The training is only part of it. The racers have to prepare a team of, a team of three or four. If I could talk, the racers have to prepare a team of three or four who will support them along the course. In past years, runners were allowed to have two vans of support. This has changed to only one van and a maximum of four people. There are specific guidelines to how big the van can be and how many people are allowed. Four, as I said. After each race, each participant gives suggestions and help from what worked for them and what didn't. For instance, having one cooler specifically for the racer and one for the crew, making sure that one that there's one bag of ice kept closed for drinking and to put in runner's bottles so the cubes are not contaminated is another suggestion. There are so many considerations that have to be made, clothing, food, first aid, and other things like the pacer's position. They suggested that the pacer should have a walkie-talkie so that they can keep in constant contact with the crew chief or crew leader. We'll be right back. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. In 100-mile and longer racers, the racers can have pacers. Runners, Pacers are runners who run alongside the, the runner and give them moral support. They are not allowed to carry anything the runner has unless the runner isn't going to use it anymore. But they are there because running such a long distance is extremely difficult and having a partner can help their spirits and minds keep going. The runner and pacer discuss how the runner wants it to go. Does the runner like talking or does the runner like quiet? Do they want to be encouraged or do they want just want silence? It's all personal preference. Each crew has a leader or chief who coordinates everything with the runner and also follows the strict bad water rules. 
Because the race spends a lot of time in a national park, the, ru- the rules are more strict than most races, so these rules are mandatory and many. I'll go over a few of them shortly. Um, there's a lot of them, so I don't have the time to go over all the rules, but I'll give you a taste. The runner has preferences also for what food they want, and the crew needs to have it at the ready. Crews are divided into jobs. It's the leader's role to delegate those jobs. Who's going to fill the runner's water bottles, give them their food, snacks, apply sunscreen, set up the chair, table, portable toilet at each stop? Yes. One of the race rules is that each team must have a to-go toilet with a tent covering that needs to be set up every time the van stops. Another rule is the vans must be a specific size. They can't be wider than 80 inches. It is suggested that the vans be less than 68 inches in height and less than 203 inches in length. On the ba- on the Badwater website, they suggest that the Dodge Caravan is the perfect vehicle and say that white is a perfect co- color for the heat. Oversized vans, SUVs, and trucks are strongly discouraged. Motor homes, RVs, and sprinter vans are not allowed. Support vehicles must not pull trailers of any kind. The largest vehicle of any kind allowed is the Nissan NV3500. In his book, Into the Furnace, Corey Reeves talks about how large his van was, but it must have been within the race limits or they wouldn't have been able to use it. There are good reasons for this. The vans have to pull off frequently to the small shoulders and bigger vans don't fit or they get stuck in the in the sand and the dirt on the side of the road. The the shoulders are really really small and the the highway is not that big and they always have to allow for the trap the regular traffic and the regular cars going through the highway. The support vehicle will display the runner's bib number for easy identification at all times during the race. The driver must, at all times during driving, drive at the speed of traffic and never slow down to talk to the runner. So it's not like the Tour de France when the coaches talk to the cyclists as they pass bottles to them. And the very last rule in the in the guidebook is have fun and keep smiling. Remember, you chose to be here. It's a grueling race, but one which many ultra runners dream of tackling. There is no prize money for winning Badwater, but that belt buckle is pretty coveted. The youngest female to ever run Badwater was 23 years old. The youngest male was 19. The oldest female was 64, and the oldest male was 75. The last time it was run was 2019. It was not, it was canceled last year because of COVID. In 2019, Japanese runner Yoshihiko Ishikawa won and broke the course record with 24 hours, 13 minutes, and 24 seconds. He proposed to his girlfriend at the end of the race. It was pretty cool. I'll post a link to the YouTube video because you need to see this ending. She did say yes, by the way. So many well-known runners have challenged and finished Badwater. Bart Yasso, Dean Carnassus, Pam Reed, Scott Jurek, 
Christopher Berglund, Luis Escobar, Charlie Engel, Mike Wardian, Ray Sanchez, C episode 35. Ray's one, Ray's run it like five or six times and he's running it again this year. Nikki Wind, Amy, Amy Costa, David Goggins, Marshall Ulrich, Gerald Tabios, Lisa Micheletti Devona, C episode 33, where I interview her. If running 135 miles in blistering heat uphill isn't enough for you, then there's the double bad water, which is a total of 292 miles. You get to run it downhill as well, but not before first hiking up Mount Whitney and then back down and descending into Badwater Basin. The hike up the tallest mountain in the lower 48 states harkens back to the beginning of the Badwater race, which included the ascent to the top that was later revised to the end of the Whitney portal. With so many hikers seeking access to the top of the world on their own, Permits are not easy to get, and there are so few people running 292 miles. I guess adding the hike up Mount Windy is okay. And there are not many people that do that double bad water. That's pretty nasty. <laughs> and if running 292 miles isn't enough for you, there's the quad bad water. Total of 584 miles. This is reserved for only those amazing or crazy enough to tackle not only the 135-mile course, but four times. Ascending the top to the top of Mount Whitney not once, but twice. Yes, twice. Lisa Smith-Batchen did it in 2014. At 54 years old, she had already finished the regular Badwater 135 nine times. So what's doing it four times in a row, right? She did it to raise money for Badwater for Good Water that joined forces with Water Keepers Alliance in an effort to increase clean water worldwide. She started at 6.20 a.m. on July 1st and finished 10.06 a.m. on July 15th. She had her share of problems along the way, too. The temperature rarely got below 120 degrees. There were windstorms, flash flood warnings, sandstorms, lightning storms, severe stomach issues, and animal encounters. She talked about a pack of coyotes following her towards the end of the race. While she was running, she thought they were going to attack. But afterwards, she had a change of heart. By now, I feel like they were protecting me. They knew I survived across the desert without much, and they made me part of their pack, she said. She ran 40 to 50 miles every day. How do you train for oppressive heat? You wear a ton of clothes in hot weather. You use a sauna a lot. Starting with small amounts of time, you gradually build up until when you can walk out, it feels really cold. But even after all that training, that 120 degrees will still get to you, and yet you keep going. You keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going. That's how they do it at Badwater. Badwater Race, by by the time this episode gets out, Badwater Race will still be on. It started on Monday, and it will still be going, and will be over tomorrow. But remember, smile. You chose to be here. All the links that I used to get all my information will be on the website, MarthaRunsTheWorld.com. Badwater will have a live webcam, live information, so you can check it out on their website. And that also will be there, of course, that's Badwater.com. 
So you can check that out as well. And it's on every year now, except for COVID, I think was the only year they had, they couldn't do it. So check it out. Okay. And now tales of the trail. All right, this week's Tales of the Trail. Talk about another tough race. Maybe not quite as tough as Badwater, but it's hard in its own right, and it's hard in a different way. Hard Rock 100. The Hard Rock 100 takes place in Silverton, Colorado. It's actually 105 miles. It's a really, really hard race. It started in 1992. And runs every year, except when there's too much snow, wildfires, or, of course, last year when we didn't have any races at all. It's a total of 33,050 feet ascent and 33,053 descent. So every year they switch directions of the race. So this year they went counterclockwise. And the course is just nasty. It's just nasty, nasty. It's it's straight uphill, straight downhill, straight uphill, just straight downhill, straight uphill, straight downhill. It's kind of cool, though. And then every time they have it, there's like a chance of thunderstorm, thunderstorms in the mountains, chance of thunderstorms. So you never know if, if they're going to stop or contestants have to wait out the thunderstorms. They don't know. They just don't know. It's Colorado in the summer. You you never know when there's going to be lightning in the mountains. The entrance travel above 12,000 feet 13 times. 13 times. It's like one. Okay, one, it's done. I got 12 more. <laughs> this is crazy. The cutoff time is 48 hours. So unlike a lot of other races like Leadville, they've got a few more extra hours to do it. So 48 hours is a long time. Yesterday, the contestants, the runners, just just crashed that course. They smashed it, I tell you. They just did insane times. Francois Dane, I hope I pronounced the name right. I apologize if I didn't. Destroyed Killian Jornet's record with 21 hours, 45 minutes, and 51 seconds. Ah, oh, Killian had beaten the course record in 2015, and Francois just killed it. And then exactly one hour later, I mean, I swear, exactly one hour later, with 22 hours, 45 minutes, and 51 seconds, Dylan Bowman came in second. That's one hour. I mean, if he was one second later, it wouldn't be exactly one hour. But one hour later, Dylan came in. In third place for the men, Ryan Smith did it in 23 hours, 23 minutes, 56 seconds. All right, for the women, Sabrina Stanley came in first, 27 hours, 23, 21 minutes, and 49 seconds. Darcy Pissou, I hope I pronounced your name right, Darcy, sorry if I didn't. 32 hours, 8 minutes, and 26 seconds. Megan Hicks came in third at 33 hours, five minutes and two seconds. 
it's just an insane race. It's so beautiful, though, this area. They go through the um, San Juan Mountains, and it's just absolutely beautiful. This area is just gorgeous. They were they were under threats of lightning storms and and big storms in the mountains, but fortunately, none of them got caught up in it. And when they end the race, there's this big rock that has this beautiful um, bighorn sheep on it, and they have to kiss the rock when they end. So they come in, they they go to the end, they kiss the rock, and then the race is over. So it's really really neat. There, I'll do, I will do um, a, a whole episode on the history of Hard Rock probably next year when it comes around again. It's just a, a wonderful race. Billy Yang has done a couple really good films on Hard Rock. One on the problems that Timothy Olsen has had during his Hard Rock races. I love that one. And then he's done a, another one too. It's they're just outstanding films. So I I'm not sure if I'll put the links, but you can look them up under Billy Yang Films in YouTube. They're all available there, and they're very cool. All right, so that is Tales of the Trail for this week. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. If you get a chance to check out some of the Badwater webcam please do. And if not, check out YouTube, because if you missed it, they'll be available on YouTube. The highlights, they always show that stuff. It's, it's always available. If you miss it, you can always, you can always look it up afterwards and that's just fine too. That's the joy of our sport. You don't have to look at it live. It's just as wonderful a week, a month, a year past its time. It's not a problem there. We, we will always um, love it no matter what. I still look at past races from years ago and still get the same thrill. Oh, I love our sport. I miss running. I really do. I watch films of past races because I miss it so much. Let me tell you, I can't wait to do it again. All right. So I hope you are having a great summer. I hope you're getting lots of good training out there and good runs and good races. Send me some pictures if you want. Go to the go to our Facebook page. We have a great group out there. Go to the Martha Runs the World Facebook group and join, please. It would be great to have some more interaction. Love that. The website is MarthaRunsTheWorld.com. You can go ahead and, and check out all the links there. You can become a Patreon patron. That would be cool. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future shows, you can email me at MarthaRunsTheWorld at gmail.com. And until next week, let's tie up our shoelaces and go for a run. Mm-hmm.